Well, good morning, church. It is so good to connect with you this morning. I just hope that you're staying safe. I hope that you're connecting with the ministries and the opportunities that we have to connect online together. And we anticipate the day that we'll return together as a church family. We look forward to that with great expectation. It's going to be a joyous celebration. Well, we are almost at the end of Peter's list of Christian virtues. And on this sixth week of the series, I want us to focus on adding mutual affection. And next week, Pastor Kim will wrap up our series with adding love. Our scripture this week comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Now, I know that we've been repeating the scripture over and over again, and some of you might be saying, Pastor, enough is enough. No, it's not. Practice makes perfect. This is the only way that we will memorize the word of God and keep it in our hearts and in our minds, ready for our lips. And so once again, I'm going to ask you to repeat the bolded section part by part after me, and then we're going to read the rest of the passage together in one voice. Here we go. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance. For this very reason, we can do this, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness. Okay, here's the last one. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection. Okay, here we go, the rest of it together. And to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good job at home. Uh, we applaud you from here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We are meditating on it week after week. And Lord, this morning we're asking that you would teach us from your word Holy Spirit, teach us about mutual affection, that we should love God and love one another. We want to follow your commandments. Those are the two greatest commandments you ever gave us, Lord. You uh, summarized all of the commandments in the Old Testament in these two. 
And so today, let mutual affection rise and surface in our homes and in our hearts. Let us love one another as you have loved us. So Jesus, we need your help. How can we know how to love unless we experience your love in a fresh and dynamic way each and every day? How can we not love one another, Lord? How can we love each other if we don't look to your example, your perfect, unfailing, unconditional love? And so, Lord, today, would you cover us with your affection? Would you speak to the deepest places of our hearts? There are people today who are in discord with each other, and I pray that mutual affection would rise. It would come to the surface, that the fruit of the Spirit would be exhibited in their lives today. Let them love one another, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, last year, around this time, I went on a road trip. I don't know about you, but I love road trips. I went on a road trip with one of my closest friends to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You'll see some pictures on the screen that I took while I was there. This city has always been known for being one of those rough and tough cities of America, but it really is a beautiful city. For all the sports fans out there, you will remember Eric Lindros from the Philadelphia Flyers if you like hockey. You will remember Reggie White from the Philadelphia Eagles if you like football. You will remember Allen Iverson and Joel Embiid from the Philadelphia 76ers if you like basketball. And of course, you'll remember Bryce Harper from the Philadelphia Phillies if you like baseball. I think all of us are a little bit sports deficient right now, and so I just thought I'd mention that for you. Jog your memory. Not only can you eat the oh-so-good famous Philly cheesesteak, but it is a city that is rich in history. You can visit the Liberty Bell and Independence Hall, the historic homes in Elfrith Alley, and of course the iconic rocky steps that lead up to the Philadelphia Museum of Art. It was William Penn who named this city a man who envisioned a city of religious tolerance where no one would be persecuted. What a dream. The word Philadelphia comes from the joining of two Greek words. Those words philos meaning love and adelphos or adelphia, which is plural meaning brothers. And so Philadelphia is famously known as the city of brotherly love. That name Philadelphia is important even in the Bible. It was preceded by an ancient Roman city in the region of Lydia in what is known as modern day Turkey. The Apostle John, he penned Jesus' words to the seven churches, one of them being the church in Philadelphia. And every time I hear this word, every time you hear this word, I hope you are reminded of our need for mutual affection. Philadelphia, brotherly love. We can add sisterly love. My message this morning is actually a two-part sermon on love. By mutual affection, I will mean today love within this Christian community that we're a part of. Next Sunday, Pastor Kim will speak on love outside of the Christian community. So this morning, I want to share with you three mutual standards that all of us should hold. Every Christian ought to have in his or her life. Let's begin with a mutual calling. We have a mutual calling. There is a general calling upon the body of Christ. You see, all of us have unique callings that God has called us uniquely to, but then there's a general calling upon the body of Christ to a standard of behavior, and one of those traits is mutual affection. 
In Romans 12, 9 to 13, the Apostle Paul outlines what love ought to look like when expressed in Christian community, particularly for the church in Rome. And the Apostle Paul, he instructed, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, with Philadelphia. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. These words are for us today. This is what Christ has called us to. Let's quickly review these words together. Verse 9 tells us that love must be genuine. This is no artificial love. This is an authentic love. Its origin comes directly in the warmth of our heart. It looks past the exterior appearance of someone, and it makes a heart-to-heart connection, our heart to their heart. And anything short of genuine love is mere acting. The phrase love one another in verse 10 tells us that as we love, we too will be loved. For to withhold that love is to leave someone unloved. And if one person is not loved, guess what? There's a ripple effect throughout the body of Christ because we're all interconnected. It's like a ripple effect. If one person doesn't love, then therefore there's this ripple effect throughout the body of Christ where that absence of love spreads. We see the second half of verse 10, and it's a striking word, outdo one another, outdo one another. We should almost be competitive when it comes to honoring each other. It's like two people who meet at the same doorway at the same time, and they say, no, no, after you, no, no, after you, no, I insist, after you. Some people would say, ladies first, that's probably right. Verse 12 seems very applicable for us today as we live in a COVID-19 world. The way we show mutual affection is by making five choices, five decisions. And I want you to observe these and adopt these into your life. I want you to be fervent in spirit and in zeal to persevere no matter what happens. I want you to serve the Lord with joy even when it is not convenient. I want you to rejoice in the hope of glory that awaits you and awaits us. I want you to be patient in tribulation, knowing that this too shall pass. I want you to pray constantly, which is to pray without ceasing, because the prayers of the righteous avails much. There's much power in prayer. We become an inspiration when we take on these postures. And guess what? We also become inspired when other people, other believers take on these postures. We can inspire one another towards this. And their resilience through God feeds our resilience in God. Fervency, servanthood, rejoicing, patience, prayer. These are words that should describe the people of God. It will keep us focused on what matters, loving God and loving His people. Verse 13 finally teaches us that it's not about what we can get, but it's about what we can give. Isn't that true? It's not about what we can get, but what we can give. When was the last time you were able to meet the tangible need in somebody else's life? When was the last time you were able to invite someone into your home and show them hospitality? Church, we need to get better at doing this more and more. And if you can't recall a recent event... I know that COVID-19 has put a wrench in all of this. 
But this may be a sign that we need to grow in mutual affection. We must embrace that shared calling and live up to the Christian standard that is set for us. Second point this morning is a mutual submission. A mutual submission. Ephesians 5, 21 to 6, 9 is a portion of scripture that a lot of people avoid because it makes demands upon members of the Christian household. We have seen people misinterpret and manipulate the scripture in order to breed chauvinism, in order to uh, dominate, in order to be elitist over and above other people. And we often miss the heart of this message. You see, biblical submission has been completely misunderstood. It is now seen as a dirty word. Friends, I want to tell you submission is a beautiful word. We need to redeem this word in our time. Everyone that the Apostle Paul would address were part of the Christian family he envisioned, even to the point of including masters and slaves in the Christian home. And of course, in no way are we endorsing slavery and saying that it was right. We do, however, understand that employees and bosses can slowly start to feel like our own family. The more time we spend with each other, the more we work together, the more intimate we become in our friendship and relationships. Perhaps the most beautiful insight to be drawn from this portion of Scripture is the mutual affection reciprocated between two different parties involved. I want you to observe this text very carefully today. The Apostle Paul, he prefaced all that he was about to say about husbands and wives with a statement on marriage in Ephesians 5.21. This is an important scripture for us to focus on. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Before he even gets into husbands and wives, before he even gets to parents and children, before he gets to masters and slaves, he talks about submitting to one another. Critical text. It is through this filter that we read the rest of this section on marriage. And so he continues, Ephesians 5, 22 to 30. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. In exchange, here, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and they care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. I want you to realize today that Paul had addressed husbands and wives as equals. Yes, there is the word of headship there. That's a word of leadership, yes. But submission is a mutual term. He summarizes at the end that we are all members of the body of Christ of which he is the head. Christ is the head of his body. And the mutual affection in our earthly marriage ought to reflect the mutual affection of this heavenly marriage. We collectively represent the bride of Christ. All of us as Christians, we are collectively the bride of Christ, and Christ is the bridegroom. We await his coming. 
the Apostle Paul, he used the same preface, Ephesians 5.21, as a filter when he addressed parents and children, as a statement on family in Ephesians 6.1-4. He shifted to parenting. Listen to this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Kids, are you hearing me today? If you're watching with your family, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you might enjoy long life on the earth. And then in exchange, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You see, this is no one-sided instruction. This is a two-way instruction. Just when you think parents would have that power advantage over their children, the Apostle Paul carefully addressed fathers who may be guilty of irritating and frustrating their children. And the mutual affection in our physical family ought to reflect the mutual affection of our spiritual family. You see, the mutual affection in our, physically, in our physical family is a reflection of what God has done for us. We have a heavenly Father. He has adopted us into His family. And because of that, we respect and we honor our Father in heaven. As you can see, mutual affection begins in the home. Let me repeat that. Mutual affection begins in the home, and it works its way outward in other relationships. I believe we have a big issue right now. It's that we're not teaching mutual affection in our homes, and that's why people are living their lives without affection for one another in this world. It begins with parents who will model that love and will model that respect of one another, and then this will be observed by the children in the home. And with a deeper understanding of what healthy relationships look like, then the children are more inclined to value mutual affection in their relationships with other believers. Apostle Paul, once again, he used the same preface, Ephesians 5, 21, as a filter when he addressed bosses and employees as a statement on work and labor in Ephesians 6, 5 to 9. He concluded, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Here's the exchange. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. I love that. There's no favoritism with our God. He sees us equally. Keep in mind the biblical examples of Cornelius, the Italian centurion, and the unnamed Philippian jailer. In both these scenarios, not only were they saved, but their entire household was saved. And in Acts eleven fourteen, it was revealed to Cornelius that Peter would bring him a message through which he and all his household will be saved. Acts 16, 34, we see how the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. We are not just talking about families. We are talking about the household of faith. And that means all our relationships, all the dynamics of our relationships, when we serve a Christian boss, when we are Christian employees, this addresses our lives. 
and reaches far beyond our families to the immediate connections we have. In all relationships, friends, marital, familial, and household, we must do everything as if we were doing it for Christ. Love your wife, love your husband as if you were loving Christ. Love your children, love your parents as if you were loving Christ. Love your boss, love your employees as if you were loving Christ himself. Third, this morning, a mutual greeting, a mutual greeting. There are five very awkward phrases at the end of five epistles in the New Testament. It is one of the trademarks of Paul's epistles, but also Peter adopts it himself. It might be the standard format for ancient letter writing, but just as there's an opening greeting and a salutation to the recipient, this this functions as a closing greeting and a salutation from the sender to all those in that church. Romans 16, 16 says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send their greetings. 1 Corinthians 16, 20 says, all the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 to 12 says, finally, brothers and sisters rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind and live in peace. What a beautiful scripture. And the God of love and peace be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Thessalonians 5, 25 to 26. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. And 1 Peter 5, 14. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. You see, kissing as a greeting is an Eastern world tradition, not a Western world tradition. But here it has become the Christian standard of behavior. We would like to limit a kiss to being shared between family members. You would kiss your spouse and you might kiss your children. You might kiss your parents. And that's perfectly fine. But hey, hey, pastor, hold on a second. To kiss a stranger, that's an entirely different thing, especially in this COVID-19 world. Well, in fact, there are different kinds of kissing etiquette depending on where you go in the world. I love to travel. You know that. And so as I travel around the world, you see these kissing etiquettes practice. One travel blog advised, for one kiss, you will find that in the countries Colombia, Argentina, Chile, Peru, the Philippines. Two kisses. You'll find that in Spain, Italy, Greece, Germany, Hungary, Romania, Croatia, Bosnia, Brazil, Uh, Though, like France, the number can differ by region, and some Middle Eastern countries, though not between the opposite sexes. Three kisses. Some countries have three kisses. Belgium, Slovenia, Macedonia, Montenegro, Serbia, the Netherlands, Switzerland, Egypt, and Russia, where it's accompanied by a bear hug. And then a nose kiss. This is very popular in Arab culture. The United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia touch noses when they meet each other and greet each other. I'm not saying that we should immediately return to this practice, but rather we need to come to the heart of mutual affection. A holy kiss is not a cultural or romantic greeting. It is a spiritual statement. It says something about how we view each other and the mutual affection that we share between each other. When a believer kissed a believer in this way, it meant that they recognized that they were part of the same spiritual family, though they were not part of the same biological family. And when you decided, my friends, to become a Christian, you joined a new family. You joined the family of God. It's a beautiful family. 
It's a diverse family. See, the church, our church, is made up of people from different ethnicities, with different personalities, with different upbringings, and with different life experiences. And while we are such a beautifully diverse congregation, it's one of the things I love about our church, our multi-ethnic church, yet we find commonality in amidst our diversity, and that commonality is in our unity found in Jesus Christ. We must no longer see ourselves as strangers but as brothers and sisters in Christ. I really encourage you to see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. I really believe that God is using COVID-19. I know it's a horrible event. Many lives have been taken and have many people have struggled and lost family members. I understand that. I don't deny it. But God is also using COVID-19 to shake this church, to shake all churches out of their comfort zone from being that exclusive community with cliques to becoming that more inclusive community that welcomes and engages Christians that don't look like them, Christians who come from a different country, Christians who speak another language from all over the world. My prayer is that we will return from COVID-19 as people who are no longer acquaintances but are family. No longer acquaintances, but family. No more small talk when we see each other. Hi, how are you? Fine. Okay, goodbye. No more of that. That's done. That's finished. I don't want to see that anymore in the life of our church. We need to stop long enough to actually look into each other's eyes instead of being quick to speak. We need to take time to listen to one another, to share from our heart, to share what we've gone through this week. We need to go far deeper into our lives beyond that surface level and the facade. Not only will we connect after surface, but we will connect during the week. We will check in on each other and we will show mutual affection. I want us to value each other. I want us to actually know each other. I want us to share that mutual affection for each other. Even while in this moment, while we're in social distancing, we can still show this affection. For many of us, church is a Sunday reality. But for family, for spiritual family, it's an everyday reality. You're not just the church when you're here. You're always the church. Wherever you go, whoever you connect with, that will require that we start to do life together. As I conclude this morning, Leonard Sweet, he shared an illustration in his book, I Am a Follower, that can help us better understand mutual affection. You'll see a picture on the screen of Monty Roberts. Monty Roberts was raised in the horse business, and he learned that there was one way to train horses, by breaking them. Through domination and force, which at times included striking the horse with whips or even tying and suspending the horse's feet and legs, a trainer would impose his will upon the animal until it reached the conclusion that total submission was the only way to survive. In his early teen years, Roberts began to study the behavior and communication patterns of wild mustangs in the badlands of Nevada, and he took note of the nonverbal communication among the horses. Drawing on this observation and his firsthand experience with horses, Roberts developed a breakthrough training technique he first called hooking on, as opposed to breaking down the horse's will. This new training method was based on a cornerstone concept he eventually trademarked called Join Up. Join Up not only stopped the breaking norms of traditional horse training, it showcased how to cooperate with the horse's own spirit, innate ways, and means of communicating as a member of a herd. 
the personality and full potential of the horse emerged through loving freedom and desire rather than domination and suppression. And the join-up technique invites an untamed horse that has never been ridden to willingly accept the saddle and the bridle and the rider. It is a thing of beauty to watch. Monty Roberts entered a round pen with a wild horse. In as little as half an hour, he would be riding that horse. Roberts creates an atmosphere of mutual respect that communicates, I'm not going to hurt you. You don't have to follow me if you don't want to. And after a brief period of introducing himself and interacting with that horse, Robert turns his back to the animal and walks away. At this point, that horse trains her eyes on Monty with all-out intensity and inten attention. She is asking herself, well, where is he going? And do I want to stay by myself? The horse must choose, I want to be with you. I want to join up and follow you on the way. She do quickly decides, my safest place is with you, not apart from you. And dropping her head, language for, I submit to you, and trotting to Robert's side, the horse says, I choose to follow you. I want to be with you. And of course, we're not talking about training humans as Robert trained horses, but there are insights that we can glean from the story about our interpersonal relationships. See, like wild horses, many of us have tried to dominate our relationships, not allowing for mutual affection. Mutual affection is a choice required by both parties, by both individuals. It's not about what I can gain from a relationship, but instead what I can give into the relationship. And just like Roberts was willing to walk away from that horse, if it wasn't going to be a mutual relationship, we need to be okay with initiating affection, even if the other person does not reciprocate back towards us. It is God who must work in both hearts in order for it to become mutual. And just as Roberts did not try to change the horses he worked with, we must learn to accept people for who they are, not for who we want them to be. We must choose to see the other person as this, as a child of God. We must choose to see the person as bearing that beautiful image of God. We must see that person as being wonderfully made by God. And we must treat this person as his bride. Let's pray.